Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, dear friends. Peace be with you. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their cloaks on him, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our only strength, and our redeemer. Amen. This week I remembered a story from back in 2014 in which pharmacist father and daughter, Jeff and Jocelyn Dodds, are pharmacists at the Bartlett Pharmacy and Variety Store in Watford City, Minnesota. They were approached by uh, and a fellow employee who had said a friend of hers was having a horrid time trying to get her daughter to bed at night. The problem? The monsters under her bed. Now resourceful as these two are, the pharmacist put together an ingenious prescription and they called it Monster Spray. It was apparently 100% safe and bore the inscription on the label, spray liberally across the sleeping area before bed and repeat as necessary. Understandably, as soon as a bottle of monster spray hit Facebook, it went viral and parents everywhere expressed their gratitude for monster spray. It really did work to get rid of the monsters. I've longed in these days to have our own global form 
of monster spray. We're all praying that the scientists around the world will come up with an effective vaccine for COVID-19, but we also know that it's going to take time, more time than many will be able to bear. But as a person of faith, I want to take a moment and remind us this morning that we have tons of good medicine within our cabinet. And I'm not talking about hydrochloroquine. Social media may have dubbed this Lenten season as the lentiest Lent ever Lented. But I'd like to suggest to us as well that this could be, it could be, the holiest Holy Week we've ever holied. Our scripture lesson this morning would remind us that we shouldn't take too much stock in the power of the parade. We might be tempted on Palm Sunday morning to glory in the wonderful music as we should, and at the beautiful children waving palm branches, it is a glorious scene. Jesus riding into Jerusalem, just like the prophet Zechariah had said he would. See, your king comes to you. The crowds are wild with excitement, throwing their robes and cutting palm branches to mark Jesus' path. The disciples are busy preparing for the Passover, and it all felt so wonderful. But Matthew warns us at the end of our lesson this morning that the atmosphere in Jerusalem may be electric, but it's also filled with turmoil. Clashes were brewing. It was Passover and not everyone was thrilled that Jesus was riding into town being hailed as the new Messiah. Jesus had been nothing but trouble to those in the temple being hailed as Messiah. Oh my goodness, who did he think he was? And then to the government of Rome unsettling everyone everywhere. Trouble was imminent. Matthew's description of this turmoil uses an incredibly strong Greek word that literally has us translate that Jerusalem was shaken or trembled. It's the same root word for our English word seismic. Reader, beware. Jerusalem was being shaken at a seismic force, and it was ready to blow. If Palm Sunday is an invitation, then, to prepare for the seismic, let's start with a bit of a reality check. Let's just face the monster under our bed. Truth. No one living right now will be left without some form of impact on their lives. It was just a little over three weeks ago when it was clear that the church would be closed on Easter. 
We canceled the lilies and the usual palm branch orders. Lenten classes were postponed and governors and church leaders all over the world declared that there would be no public Easter services. Now here we are at Holy Week, realizing that the magnitude of this crisis will continue to rattle our world. And in the next while, there will be no business as usual and no one really knowing when normal or whatever that will be can return. Father Richard Rohr warns us that we do our best to handle our suffering through willpower, denial, medication, or even therapy. We do not handle suffering. Suffering handles us. And yet, Richard Rohr suggests that this suffering is the matrix on which life, especially new life, is founded. Because only suffering and certain kinds of awe lead us into genuinely new experiences. All the rest is merely the confirmation of old experience which is another way of saying, if we don't take this time to transform our pain, we will certainly transmit it in some form. We know there's a monster living under our bed, and we as people of faith have a response. What we need first is to have the mind of Christ Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If we didn't listen closely, we easily could overlook those first few words of this passage which remind the followers of Christ to live in the mind of Christ. We have some insight because we have Christ's mind in our passion narratives and it's tucked in those beautiful verbs in his actions. It says he set his mind toward Jerusalem. He set his face. It says he desires to eat the Passover meal with his disciples. He even pleads with his disciples to stay awake with him and to pray. 
And when he's questioned by Pilate on Friday, there's that powerful moment when he has nothing to say. The strength in our Jesus' humanity is profound and should lead us to new understanding of what it means to have the mind of Christ and still be very human. Did you know that over 2,000 years ago, long before Columbus discovered the Americas, or to that note, the Greeks knew that the world was round. But Columbus was the first person to say, follow me westward as a way to go east. At the beginning of the journey, the pinta had broken down, the rudder was broken, and it crew was taking days to get it repaired. And that's when he dawned, when it dawned on him that maybe they were trying to sabotage the mission, that their will was waning. So rather than coerce the others, Columbus decided to signal that he was going on to the Canary Islands by himself and that he would wait for them there. He would write in his journal, I see that I'm going to have to accept what I cannot control. Long and short of it, Columbus had to set his mind just in his human disappointment. He would have to wrestle the days ahead and yet it was that mind that kept him in God, that kept Jesus in God, that kept Jesus determined, decisive, and visionary. It was what allowed him to keep his wits about him because that's what it takes to hold on to a world and keep it together and change its direction at the same time. We must be reminded today that we have the mind of Christ within us. It is in our DNA. So how do we do that? Well, I think it's incredibly important to remember that all of Jesus' ministry and all of his life were lived in a deep and abiding partnership with God. This was no solo mission, no solo ride in Jerusalem. Jesus had no control over people being people, and he rode into Jerusalem anyway. How did he do that? I think he did it by living in a mutual, loving, honest, partnership with God. They were together in this thing, and God's dream of humanity was his dream, and nothing would stand in his mindset toward Jerusalem and that goal. Now I can just hear you saying, well, what about that scene in the garden? Wasn't Jesus deeply troubled? Yes, 
Didn't he pray for this cup to pass from him, this journey to the cross to go away? Yes. And when the only path forward was clear, Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. While the statement may sound like Jesus is wrestling with his humanity, he is. But I would also like to suggest that Jesus' struggle is most deeply and accurately understood as recognition of his partnership with God. He had to talk to God about it. It was in his DNA to speak honestly with God, to wrestle with the impact on his very human life, and at the same time, to witness with his life what it meant to be faithful during this seismic moment in history. Our partnership with God need not deny our pain any more than Jesus could deny his own. Nor does our pain mean in any way that God has somehow moved. This is the DNA of a partnership with God. And we are seeing that partnership live itself out in us all over the world. Just this last Tuesday, a cardiologist who was pulled over for speeding in Minnesota by a trooper because she had a Minnesota license and was speeding, he got her over and asked her what she was doing so far from home. She told him that she traveled each month to work as a fill-in cardiologist uh, for a time. This doctor, a young woman, 37, said that the trooper ran her license plate and firmly came to tell her that it was very irresponsible of her to be speeding. Apparently, under the strain of the COVID virus, there's a lot more aggressive driving and speeding on the road. He went on to tell her that an accident would take up needed resources and would put her in a position not to be able to care for her patients. Well, she was left feeling completely chastised and as he went back to the car, she sat there and waited for her ticket. Instead, when he came back to her, he said he was going to give her a warning and he was going to let her go this time. She tried to, to thank him and, and sputtered an apology. And, and he was reaching something in the car for her to take thinking it was her license, it dawned on her that it was, it was too thick to be just a license. And it wasn't until she looked at it that she realized he had handed her five N95 masks from the supply given to him for his own protection. The doctor wrote, this complete stranger who owed me nothing, 
and is more on the front lines than even I am, shared his precious mask with me without even asking. It was then that she knew we're gonna be okay. Now my friends, eventually a vaccine will come and deal with this monster. But because you and I have Christ's DNA, because we have the mind of Christ within us, our partnership can make this thing look different all the way. Because our partnership with Christ will keep us determined, decisive, and visionary. It'll keep our wits about us because that's what it's going to take to hold a world together and change its direction all at the same time. So I'd like to invite you for a moment to change your prayers and your thinking. Theological Stew is a pastor's blog in which it describes our pattern of prayer like this. So often the focus of our prayers is on the I'm not worthy part of the prayer, the part that tells God and reminds us how fragile we are, how we failed or messed up or really don't deserve God's help. And for most of us, our thinking ends up sounding something like this. So God, even though I know it's kind of a long shot and I should have been able to do this by myself, I should really be able to do a hundred things different and I know I was wrong, but you know, I believe in you. Would you please help me with this one thing, just one, just this time, please. Let me remind you that no such waltzing was necessary or is necessary today. Jesus was never afraid to be completely vulnerable and honest with God. His prayer in the garden, his silence in front of his accusers, his pardon to those who would kill him, and his invitation to the thief beside him came out of nothing less than the belief that he could hold God to God's promises. In the middle of his seismic event, he would pray boldly and honestly. We should too. We have the DNA of Christ in our mind, leaning into our partnership with God and trusting in the promise of God is the way. Easter, my friends, is more than a day in which we remember the resurrection. It is the ground under our feet. This morning, I'd like to close with S.M. Lockridge's sermon, a famous one, entitled, Sunday is Coming. He was pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego from 
his mind in Christ. It was reflective of the deep partnership we have with Christ on the journey. And it was an incredibly bold witness that remains available to God's people today. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleeping. Judas is betraying, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying, but they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walk into Calvary, his blood dripping. His body stumbling, his spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning, the people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Savior's hand to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross, and then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king, and the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know that it's only Friday and Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles, the sky grows dark. My king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. Sunday is coming. My friends, let's be determined to have the mind of Christ within us. Let's be decisive 
in our partnership, visionary in our prayers. We can keep our wits about us. Jesus showed us that's what it takes to hold the world together and change its direction at the same time. My friends, that's the DNA we are made of. I promise, Sunday is coming. Amen.